minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, Green Bay Packers fans? Welcome back to another edition of Pack a Day Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Morley. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Morley, and I am joined today, as always, uh, by Ross Uglum, Packer Reports' very own. Uh, Ross, how you doing say, today, man? And let us know, it, what what ways can we find you at Packer Report, and what kind of specials do we got going on over there right now? Things are great, man. Things are uh, really, really busy. Um you know, as most of you know, I, I cover both Green Bay and North Dakota State for 24-7 sports. And College Game Day just announced that they're going to NDSU's next game. So we've got all that going on. Um, there's a nice little linear path. I'll be in Brookings, South Dakota on Saturday. And then uh, I'll actually be with Jake uh, at uh, at Chiefs Packers this upcoming Sunday. So a big Big weekend ahead and a huge week of coverage for you guys at PackerReport.com. We have Andy's grades, uh, Andy's shatter points, Dusty's concepts. My my film review is already up where I kind of break down the TV copy and give us some some talking points moving forward for the week. So uh, really something that I hope you guys take advantage of right now. We're doing 30% off of an annual pass or a dollar for the first month and $9.99 after that. What I always suggest to people is, hey, just... Do the dollar for the first month. If you don't like it, cancel. No blood, no foul, no problem. Uh, but if you do like it, just you know, upgrade to the annual pass. Instead of spending nine bucks a month on it, you'll spend six. And I think that's uh, certainly within most folks' budget. It's about the you know the the price of one of those real big pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks. So hopefully uh, you can find that in your monthly budget and support us because we really are committed to bringing you guys the best possible coverage of the Green Bay Packers, of which, of course, Jake and I will do live and in living color this Sunday. Uh, I'll be up in the box. Jake will be down on the field. Yeah, man, I didn't think we'd get a PSL reference today, but gosh, what a day. Yeah, this this week is going to be a lot of fun. Um, so if you have not gotten out on PackerReport.com and gotten yourself signed up, uh, no better time than the present. But, Ross, I want to look at um, some other things about – the Packers game against Oakland. And one thing that I always really like to do is I, I really like analytics. I really like grades. Um, I love Andy's grades. I love pro football Focus's grades. And that's one of the things I really look forward to whenever the Packers play, just looking at, you know, how someone else viewed them. And you can take, you know, a lot of people will and do take these grades and take them with a grain of salt. And I think that's fair. Um, but it's really interesting to see how other people view the game through their lens. And so there are some takeaways from Pro Football Focus that I really think are worth noting. And I want to start with, you know, I think it was even Dan Orlowski said today on Twitter, he thinks the Packers have the best offensive line in football. I don't know if I, I think they're very good. Yeah, I, don't, okay. I don't know if I agree with him on that. Um, but in certain aspects, I do think the Packers are playing as good of football um, up front as anybody. And one of those, uh, one of those aspects is in pass protection. Um, Aaron Rodgers, if you watched the game on Sunday, had all day to throw the ball, and that was kind of expected. The Raiders do not have a super potent pass rush. They obviously, you know, they spent a top ten pick on uh, Cleveland Farrell last draft, which he could develop into a stud, and I think he very well may. Uh, he's not quite there yet, 
So you look at the Packers' pass blocking scores according to Pro Football Focus, and you get on there, and I like to, to organize things top to bottom. And so clicking on the pass, pass blocking grades, top to bottom, their top pass blocker with an elite grade, David Bakhtiari. Brian Bulaga also has an elite grade. Corey Lindsley also has an elite grade. Elton Jenkins, elite grade. And that leaves Billy Turner, who Billy Turner gets uh, dumped on a little bit on this Packers offensive line, but in pass protection, uh, especially in pass protection, but he was sitting at that high quality borderline elite grade from Sunday as well. So Ross, what are your takes on this offensive line? Um, and would you, I don't think you would agree with Dan Orvlowski either, um, but how do you feel about the way those guys up front are playing so far? I mean, they're really good, and I think a case can be made for the best pass-blocking line in, in, in pro football. Uh, you, you've got a above-average center. Uh, I think you have an elite left guard already, elite pass pro left guard in Elton Jenkins. Bakhtari, once he gets healthy, is the best left tackle in football, and then Brian Bulag is kind of the same. I mean, there aren't a lot of right tackles. Maybe Lane Johnson, although Lane had a rough one on Sunday night, uh, there aren't a lot of right tackles in football that win healthy. You take over Bulaga. The only pass blocking question mark there is is Billy Turner, and even he, I think, is average. So you've got three elite guys, an average guy, and an above average guy. You're so far ahead of what most teams are doing in the offensive line, it's nuts. Yeah. As far as being the best offensive line in football, though, I struggle with that. Um, the, talent-wise, maybe, you know, the Patriots are always, in my opinion, top two or three solely based on Dante Skarnecchia, their offensive line coach. Uh, he's able to get guys to open running lanes, get guys to protect Brady, kind of no matter their draft pedigree. And sometimes it even feels like no matter their talent level, the guy's an absolute beast. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I just, I, with as many issues as they'd have um, creating running lanes, I, I struggle with that. And, and a lot of, honestly, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams yards belong to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Again, best pass blocking group in the league, probably, which by the way, is actually the thing that matters. And other than that though, I I can't go all the way on that path until they run block a little better. Yeah. And I'm with you there. I think one thing that this kind of sparked in my head was you're talking about, especially Elton Jenkins. And this is a shame because if you remember that, uh, that screen that they had to Aaron Jones, I got called back by a very questionable call or blocking downfield by Kumaro. If you go back and watch that clip, you'll see Big 74 out front. And that, I mean, I would like someone to, to, to do a cut-up of that because seeing him move is impressive. I mean, a guy that, that that is that big that was out front, he looked like he was pulling away from Aaron Jones. And I know it was just the angle, uh, but still very impressive. Uh, just from an athletic standpoint. And then we, I think it was you and Andy, and I think I even chimed in on Twitter this week about Billy Turner because a lot has been made about his contract and, you know, the $7 million or whatever it is he's making a year. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that really is, that is the going rate for an average right guard in the NFL. And there is, and if you follow the draft, if you, if you follow, all 32 teams, it's tough. You would go to most teams and they would take an average offensive line somewhere along their line over who they have right now. And so you plug in, like you said, you have four guys that are very good to elite. 
And then you throw in a guy like Billy Turner, who even if he is just average, he's just an average player. That's good. That's that, that's that's good. You're in good shape. There's, you know, there's such a need for offensive line play in the NFL that guys like Billy Turner get paid, and you have to be okay with that. And that and so I I know you are. I know I am. I know there's still going to be a lot made about his contract, but you know, truth be told, he's getting paid what he deserves to be getting paid. Uh, so another another uh, interesting thing that kind of stuck out to me, Ross, when I was looking at these grades initially, is you look at the defensive grades and little old Rashawn Gary creeping up into uh, the the top of the rankings this week. Now, he only played 18 snaps, but he graded out at 84.5, which that number might not mean anything to anyone, but that is a, that's an elite, that's a borderline fringe elite grade for the 18 snaps he played. Uh, pass rush was below average. And that's kind of something that we expected coming out of Michigan. But his run defense was something that if you're watching the game, you notice you notice 52 sticking his nose in there in the run game a little bit more of this game uh, than you have in the past. And Ross, how, how are you and where are you at as far as uh, Rashawn Gary's development? I, you know, I think you just kind of have to maintain expectations in a, in a reasonable manner. Uh, I, I think at this point it'd be kind of ridiculous to assume, you know, that you're going to get a ton from him, especially in a technical pass rush standpoint uh, this season. I think you're likely looking latter part of next year, or maybe even more realistically, 2021. Uh, but the reason that you draft a guy like, or excuse me, draft a guy like Gary is because he has, you know, that Julius Peppers upside. And I mean that, like he's that level of, of an athlete. You see the way that he moves at 280 pounds. There just aren't guys like that on the planet. Uh, that doesn't mean he has, doesn't have a ton of, of, of room to grow. And, and it doesn't mean, uh, like I mentioned, that you know they probably should have just taken Brian Burns, which is something that I shouted from the freaking rooftops. But they, you know, they're not going to get them all right. And I certainly don't get them all right either. They're, they're, you know, I think, Josh Jackson's slow development would be um, plenty evidence of that, but I think you you like what you see. You 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 want to see uh, hustle certainly. Uh, you want to see effort, and you want to see growth. And I think that's what you saw a little bit of uh, this weekend. What I you know I will say that there wasn't a ton of um, additional progression in his pass rush game uh I, I don't have it right in front of me uh, you know of, of how his splits were i can i can get it here pretty quick yeah 10 10 early down i would guess um rush or you know run defense snaps seven rushes and a drop back which i actually remember seeing the drop back live because i remember that one specifically but uh didn't create a pressure in his seven rushes and and and, you know often you wouldn't i'm not saying that you should have a pressure every seven times you go after the quarterback but uh that was not where the progress was where where the progress was though was in violence (laughs) and that's something that you saw he had the highest run defense grade on the entire team and that's because you could see him you know shocking that the the tackles and the tight ends of his hands and holding down the edge. Yeah. Josh Jacobs had a nice little day, but uh, very little of that came 
uh, on the edges. You know, it was, I think, like 43 yards off tackle or on, off the end. And the other 112 were between guard, center, and guard. And, and that's something that you don't see every day. A lot of explosive runs happen to the outside, but Gary, uh, Zadarius Smith, and Preston Smith were all really, really good at, at keeping things in the middle of the field. Yeah, and you look at – I know um, just kind of looking at these grades and something else that's popping up in my head is looking at Kenny Clark's very average grade, uh, which has been a little bit disappointing these last four weeks, especially because he, he started this season so hot. Um, but I think, you know, it's you, you look at the schedule and it's – obviously the guy's playing through playing through something. He, he went down again. I think he was listed with an eight, like a calf and a back. Um, and you look at the schedule and it's like, when could they get this guy a break? And part of me is almost looking at Kansas City now, minus Patrick Mahomes. Their rushing attack is is putrid. It's like, could you could you get away with get 97 a week off? Because I, I want to see a healthy Kenny Clark again, I think, for the stretch run. That's what the Packers are going to need to do. But that's, that's me kind of going off the script and just looking at well, and you know, I think, and I, I mentioned this, you saw a really nice wash down the line. You saw some vintage Kenny Clark. You didn't see it all. You know, a, a 67 grade is above average for, for PFF and, and ranked eighth of the 21 Packers defenders that received a grade. But, you know, I, I mean, I think it could be better. It was better. He was a legitimate elite player, uh, last year and I think even the year before that but maybe the uptick in his uh, ability was more related to the the time off he got during the week and maybe you have to put him on the Brian Bulaga uh, practice schedule or he gets a day or two off of practice I mean uh, not that mentally you know knows is is an easy position but it's certainly not the most difficult there aren't a ton of different things you have to do based on the calls. So maybe he's not a guy that needs to practice every single day. And uh, maybe until you're able to get to that bye week, he's a one practice a week kind of guy. And, which is crazy to say because he's 24 years old. And he, he just turned 24, but he's a four-year veteran. So he's kind of getting, even though he's so young, he's getting to that level of, he's played a ton of football for Green Bay already. He could be getting to that level of the type of guy that doesn't need to be out there every day. Um, but moving forward, Ross, I want to move on and talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. I think as as we go further and further into this year, Matt LaFleur is looking more and more like the Packers really not only found a good coach, but potentially found a great coach. And I want to kind of speak to that a little bit. I talk, And one thing – that's really been impressive. And I wrote about this last week in the preview is he's had a weird schedule, like a really weird schedule to work with in the first six, seven weeks. You know, they had, they opened on Thursday night, had another Thursday night game, had a primetime game. Um, You know, coming into this week, they'd only played twice on Sunday, which is odd. And so you look at these guys and how, you know, as a head coach, you're looking at how do I make how do I make my guys comfortable? How do I get them in a rhythm? How do I get them um, to kind of get into their habits? Because football players, really like anyone, like we're creatures of habit. To be successful, a lot of us like to do stuff the same way. So it's weird getting off your schedule like that. 
And I mean, not only has Matt LaFleur had to deal with losing his top receiver, he's had to deal with kind of just how do, how do I figure this out? You know, how do I learn this stuff on the fly just to make sure that my schedules are on point? uh, My preparation is on point. And so I think it's been just super impressive. And that's not even to mention these last two games, the opposing teams have had two weeks, two weeks to prep for him. And he's absolute. I mean, he's looked look good, you know, so it, he blew the doors off the Raiders and in Detroit the week before, you know, the offense kind of self-destructed, but it was really to no fault of Matt LaFleur as he was putting them in situations. So um, I've been really, just really impressed with Matt LaFleur. And um, obviously it's still super early. You kind of got to treat coaches almost like you do draft picks where it's years that so you can really judge how good they are. But just looking at these first seven weeks of the season, Ross, uh, this offense looks like it's it's kind of getting close to firing on all cylinders. And I would ask you, who deserves more credit then? Do you think Aaron Rodgers deserves more credit for this offense, this turnaround, or is this Matt LaFleur? Uh, I mean, I think you have to give most of the credit to LaFleur, but still kind of maintain that both guys are uh, very much – you know, because Rogers has to take to it. He has to agree to it. He's got to listen to somebody who frankly doesn't have as much uh, experience in this league as he does. But I, ultimately I really do agree and believe, you know, that um, it, it is LaFleur because we saw for multiple seasons in a row, how much of a struggle, you know, McCarthy and Rogers were and, and, and how poorly the offense was playing and that was with the healthy Devontae Adams. Now they don't have him, and, and they're just lighting it up. And and the the most basic, the most obvious thing that you point to then is, oh, well, what what's different? What what is what in the formula wasn't there before? And that's Matt Lafleur. Yeah, and that's I think I am pretty much in lockstep with you there. And it's been really fun too to look at the sideline clips of them. You know, so much was made ridiculously about their about their relationship this offseason and it's almost like the two of them are almost over exaggerating over exaggerating how much they like each other um but then it's also pretty obvious that they do like each other and they do enjoy working together and obviously winning kind of cures all that stuff and it's a lot of fun to be on the winning team and it's really easy to get along with guys when you're winning but i think genuinely these guys do like each other and that that clip at the end of the game where lafleur was you know, giving them the game ball was, was pretty, was pretty neat. And I think going through kind of two years, the last two years of McCarthy, when quite frankly, football, just the Packers weren't fun to watch. It was, you kind of hope that they could pull it out, that Rodgers could kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat and win a game. But I mean, football's fun again. It's, it's fun watching these Green Bay Packers. It's fun rooting these guys on. So um, if nothing else, like this season has just been kind of a revelation in that sense. So I'm just enjoying the ride and, and looking forward to what really the second half of this season has to to offer. Um, but that does lead me into um, another topic that has been widely talked about amongst Packers fans and um, and amongst people that cover this team, and that is you know that wide receiver room. And you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment because this last week the receivers look good. You know these young guys stepped up. They they pretty much everything they do well as a group into what they bring to the table individually, they 
put on display last week. And when all those things are being mixed into the recipe, you know, you, you got a nice dish. So um, the question really is, do they need more? And, and I think the key word here is need. And Ross, what do you think? Like, do they need to go out and add another receiver to this mix? No, not need. Cer- certainly not need. Uh, I, I think you could still talk me into uh, an Emmanuel Sanders or a Muhammad Sanu, somebody that makes a lot of sense as an intermediate type of guy. Because uh, right now you have the superstar in Devontae Adams, and you have one of the league's best deep threats. I mean, that's it's it should, it's honestly not even arguable at this point. Um, in in Marquez Valdez Scantling, and I don't even think we're giving Goodekunst enough credit. Um, for that pick, I mean that was a steal where he got uh, MVS, and so I would it be cool? Great, but is it necessary? Pro- probably not. You know, um, if you are scoring, and, and I mentioned this a, a number of times, you know they're nineteenth ranked defense in DVOA. Is that the eighty-five Bears? No, but it's not the Dolphins either. I mean, nineteenth is average. Sixteenth. Uh, you know, or 16.5 is average, but you were talking about a pretty average defensive team yesterday in Dallas, or excuse me, in Oakland, and Rodgers absolutely set them on fire without Devontae Adams. You add in one of the top five or six receivers in this league to what's going on now, um, and, and I just think you already are in a situation where you're real happy. Plus, you have Ryan Grant, who they're – uh, you know, I think is kind of a, a a poor man's Muhammad Sanu or a a poor man's, and they, they, him and Emmanuel Sanders do different things. But unless the right a- opportunity absolutely presents him- itself, uh, I, I think they absolutely put it this way. I, I mean, they can win a Super Bowl with this receiving core as it stands. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and uh, and that's that's the case. I think you make is like, can you? Are you better if you add good players? Like, of course you are, you know, but yeah, this, this receiver group, and especially after last week, I think they're only going to get better. They're all young. You know, that's the thing. And I think Kumaro kind of is what he is, but if, if that's what he is and yesterday, then that's great. That's a great fourth, fifth receiver, a, a guy that can come off the bench and, and, and make plays when you need him to. And that might be, that might be all he is. And Packers fans might not want to hear that, but that's probably more accurate than thinking he's going to be a 1200, you know, an eight guy ever. Um, but here's, this is, I'm, I'm kind of looking through Twitter talking about, I don't think people realize how good of a deep threat MVS is. And this is from our guy, Peter Bukowski, who tweeted this earlier today. He said, you know, Tyreek Hill led the league in plays of 40 plus last year when he had eight MVS has five this year, not even halfway through the year. So, you know, you look at Tyreek Hill, who is one of the most feared guys deep in the league. And MVS, quite frankly, if he keeps up at this pace, he's going to blow the doors off of what he did last year. Um, Tyreek, obviously, <laughs> can do a lot more than MVS right now. Um, but sky's the limit for that guy. You know, you don't want to, and, and, you know, and that's the balance of, do you want to bring in a Manny Sanders and take take reps away from MVS when he could be a guy, you know, in, in no, you know November, December, going towards the playoffs that's really starting to hit on all cylinders. Um, and with Devonte Adams healthy, that's that's terrifying. You know, if you're a defensive coordinator in this league, that's scary. That's that's not, that's going to keep you up at night. So um, I'm with you. Keep let's just see what these guys got. Uh, totally ready just to kind of roll with these young receivers. 
Um, but that takes us to the other side of the ball, and that's the defense. That yesterday they did not play well. You know, they they they're clearly missing some guys. Um, my my question, Ross, and I don't know if you if you've seen the film yet or not, but to me it looked like kind of going into this game with the defense, I I really expected them. Uh, to play a lot of to play a, a lot more man concepts than they did, and they really came out and played a ton of zone from from what I could tell, and that was confusing to me just because I thought the the Raiders just didn't have the horses to run with what the Packers have on the back end of their secondary. Um, so, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the defensive issues uh, that kind of you know reared their ugly head yesterday? Yeah, I mean, you know, the real problem with that is just how weak they are right now in the middle of the defense. And when you play zone and you don't, uh, you know, allow your your guys to man up, you you get killed. I think we would have been uh, the Packers would have been in a lot better situation, specifically with Waller, if they would have just thrown Josh Jackson on him. And and I I know Josh actually didn't have a great day in junk time, uh, but he's shown with his size to be kind of a tight end killer. He did an excellent job against Trey Burton in the first game of his career, uh, did a pretty good job against Jason Witten down in Dallas, and then has basically disappeared from the defensive game plan. And I, I think uh, throwing a guy like him man-on-man against Waller would have been a lot better than what, what was going on, which was basically um, you know, uh, 93 Goodson staying in to – defend the run on base downs, which it's fine, I guess. But then they weren't very aggressive in how often they substituted Burks. And you ended up with a lot of Blake Martinez and uh, BJ Goodson in, in open in space in coverage in trying to lock down the middle of the field with Will Redmond instead of Darnell Savage. And the whole thing was just a mess. And, and that's kind of, you know, I think the main issue with, uh, with, the decision to go to zone, I, I think it was, you know, pretty obvious. I, I would have thrown, uh, you know, Jackson on, on Waller and, and Jair on Renfro and probably thrown King on Aitman. And if somebody else beats you, they beats you. They, you know, they beat you, I, I guess. Uh, you know, Tremont takes whoever. And I just, I don't understand uh, what that whole game plan was. I thought Gruden really kind of kicked Petten's ass. Yeah. And that's kind of, and, and that's the thing though too is you know Gruden had two weeks. He had two weeks to kind of look at this Packers defense and say how do we want to attack them, and he had a plan and it worked and they and they executed it really well. And I think I even said something like that. You know they didn't do anything. They did absolutely nothing that should have su- surprised or shocked Mike Patton. They just executed really well, and so that's that's kind of troubling, um, you know. But at the same time. I think this defense has kind of showed us now after seven weeks who they are and what they're going to do. And that is a, a defense that is going to give up yards and they're, they're predicated on stiffening up in the red zone and taking the ball away. And that's what they did. You know, they, they had the big interception. <clears throat> they had the absolute gift from Derek Carr. I can't believe well, oh my God, <laughs> that he did that. Um, but you know, you take them however you can get them. So, uh, and Derek Carr, we knew he was a guy that is going to give you a couple. And lo and behold, he did. Um, but, Ross, looking forward now to a game that both of us are going to be at, uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, a game that at the beginning of the year you would have – I mean, everyone, not just Packers and Chiefs fans, people around the league, 
had this game circled on their calendars. You're kind of looking at, honestly, probably the two most physically gifted quarterbacks to play in what the last 30, 40, maybe ever, you know, years to. So people were excited about this game. And then obviously the unfortunate knee injury that Patrick Mahomes suffered last week. And he is looking, looking like he's not going to play like 99%. I'd say, you know, I, I don't know if you heard this, but Andy Reid asked him if he was going to play this week, and he just said, "Well, he'd be hard. He'd be hard pressed to," which he didn't rule him out. But um, and I guess his, I'm kind of going off subject here. But Ross, is that just gamesmanship to you? Yeah, I mean, he dislocated his he dislocated his kneecap. He's not playing for a month or at least three weeks. Like, I, it is what it is. The guy, he's not going to play. Yeah, I, I I think it really is just. Hey, Green Bay, I know you are 99% sure that you're going to be playing Matt Moore, but if we can take even 30 minutes of practice reps this week for you to talk about 15, then that's why we're doing that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really changed the this game. But, you know, Kansas City still, if you remember, the last time Green Bay was in Kansas City and Packers fans, I'm going to remind you of this, it, but it, it was not a pleasant day for Packers, for Packers fans or the team. Uh, they were playing a Kyle Orton-led, Romeo Cronell coached team that had just recently benched Tyler Palco, and they went in there 13-0 and lost that game. Um, Arrowhead is, is a weird place to play. It is, you know, granted the Chiefs have lost their last two primetime games at Arrowhead Stadium, which is almost unheard of. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, they've lost the last two. Are they going to make it three? I would say, yeah. I just, I can't imagine how Kansas City is going to be able to keep up with this Packers offense um, and the way Matt LaFleur has been able to put together these game plans. Uh, but still, they Tyreek Hill it can still score every time he touches the ball. You know, Travis Kelsey is a stud. Uh, if Sammy Watkins is healthy after this long extended break, he's a stud, you know, so they, they got dudes, they got guys still. And to me, Andy Reed was probably looking at this game saying, well, we can dink and dunk up the field too. And I think someone pointed out Kansas city does not have nearly as good of an offensive line as Oakland does. In fact, they don't have, they don't have as good of a defense either. Um, Patrick Mahomes is kind of, and for Packers, if you if you're not haven't been watching this Chiefs team, Patrick Mahomes has very much been kind of what Aaron Rodgers has been for this Packers team at times. Where if he's not throwing four touchdowns, five touchdowns, their margin of victory and margin of error is very small. And we kind of saw that with the two games they lost with him. Um, you know, he's got he had that banged up ankle and he was not himself, and they lost both those games. Uh, so without him, it's going to be really interesting to see. You know, Andy Reid now is is kind of in this category of these top three coaches in the NFL, and he's kind of been vaulted vaulted there by having a young MVP quarterback. But now he's going to really have to go back to his roots, and can he put together a game plan to somehow knock off Aaron Rodgers in prime time next week? Um, Ross, what are your first initial thoughts kind of of this game going into next week? Uh, cautious optimism, I guess, from a Packers perspective. You know, I mean – um, never going to be, never going to be a guarantee to go and, w- and win a road game. Green Bay, obviously undefeated on the road so far. Um, y- y- like you said, y- you hate to see 
Mahomes go down. Uh, but it's a at least an eight point swing in in the, the betting. I would guess if not a ten point swing. You know, a Packers opening up as four point favorites. I would have guessed they would have been four or six point underdogs if uh, if Mahomes was a quarterback. So, um, you know, he's an MVP level guy. I think uh, you know maybe only Rodgers would be uh, somebody who moves the line more than than Patty Mahomes. Just a a, a rough deal, but. Yeah, I mean, I think Green Bay being favored by four makes a lot of sense. The Chiefs have not been particularly good defensively. And, I, I mean, I just don't know, you know, whether they, they're not particularly gifted at running the ball. And Green Bay has an answer for their number one guy. And Jair Alexander matching up with Tyreek Hill as long as Hill doesn't Amari Cooper him, but you know what? Tyreek doesn't run routes like Amari. Tyreek blazes, and and you know who else blazes? Jair Alexander. Yeah, and I think if they get Savage back too, because that would be – that's how I would expect them to to play Tyreek because even though Jair is a 4-3 athlete, I mean, Tyreek, nobody, nobody can really run with him. So if they would want to bracket him, they got another 4-3 athlete they could put over the top, and I think that's about as good of a bet to, to put a bottle on – you know, put a cap on him as they could. I think Amos – uh, kind of matches up pretty well with Kelsey as far as where he's at, but it, it'll be interesting. I, I'm with you. It's you never, you just never know. Especially, you know, Matt Matt Moore. I, I kind of always have liked him. I don't know what he has left anymore. I mean, for goodness sakes, the guy was scouting for the Dolphins this off season, and now he's going to start a game at Arrowhead in prime time. So that's not ideal. That's not that's not how you'd uh, you'd that's not what you want from your uh, starting quarterback, but. Um, it is what it is. The Packers, you know, they can only play the schedule that's laid before them. And, you know, hopefully they can go out and get a win next week. And uh, no one should feel bad about that if they do. So, um, Ross, anything else from you? No, sir. All right, guys. Well, Ross, uh, I'm sure people will probably hear from us later on this week. And uh, until then, thanks for listening. And as always, go Pack Go Pack Go.